I have come here to Krakowie, and I'm all out of bubble. Really licked his ass. Are you watching closely? Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week the movie we watched at midnight was Paul Anderson's Inherent Vice. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you, and don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. Luke, where are we for this one? Set in 1970 in a Californian beach community, we meet Larry Doc Sportello, who, for lack of a better term, may be as dirty as hippies come. Uh, shout out to Eric Cartman on that one. Doc is a private investigator who is randomly visited by a previous lover who is desperately asking for his help in protecting her new lover, Mickey, a successful real estate agent from his wife and her lover who wants to get him locked up in an insane asylum. A lot of loving going on, clearly. Quickly, we are on the case with Doc as he leaves no stern unturned and no joint unsmoked <laughs> you're so clever <laughs> that was pretty good um trailer for this movie i really liked it a lot gotta be honest about that one um i think it pretty well captures sort of the chaotic mess of the movie um and the way they show scenes the order in this the they put scenes and the scenes that they show they don't reveal anything but i think they make you want to watch it so all in all a great trailer do you do you think that trailers that are unique to the movies they're doing are usually better? Because, you know, I feel like for action movies, there's like that template you can use with like the music and yeah. the voice. But when it's a trailer that's like really contained to what that movie is, I feel like there's a good chance it's way better. Yeah, and I, well, I think it definitely plays to the type of movie. Like if I saw this type of trailer for like. Die Hard. Or something. Skyfall. Uh, yeah, I'd probably hate it because it doesn't really do an accurate job of depicting this movie. This trailer works great for this film because it actually feels kind of like how you are watching the movie. You don't really know what's going on. It's a chaotic mess, but you can tell a lot of things are happening and certainly a lot of things are happening. Whereas that template, it kind of tells you exactly what you want to know for an action movie. You know, it's like that that template works well for action movies. Um. And honestly, sometimes too well. And that's kind of the biggest pitfall is I yeah. feel like action movies are the biggest um, abusers of that template where they'll show literally everything cool that happens in the movie. And then when you see the movie, you're like, but what? There is nothing. <laughs> I wonder cooler. if that's going to explode. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. So that, that really can that honest honestly like will ruin a movie for me where it's like i just saw everything in the trailer yeah like the, I, a good thing about this movie is they show you some cool stuff that happens in it but they definitely don't show you the best things that happen in this movie 
For sure, dude. I mean, it's a it's a unique movie, and it's also adapted from a novel. So, for the writer's section this week, I'm going to bring up Thomas Pinecone. Pine, I almost said Pinecone. I don't think that's how you pronounce <laughs> his name. It's a weirdly um, spelled name. He he wrote the novel Inherent Vice, which I think uh, Paul Thomas Anderson read and enjoyed very well, and started adapting it right away. If I'm not mistaken, but Nash, I'm giving away the director's section. Who directed Inherent Vice? Yeah, so uh, Paul Tomis Anderson, um, he is a pretty good, pretty good director. Um, we have—I don't think we've done a single movie for him yet. I know, thought I we like, did. I, I looked back and I thought we did, but we actually didn't, and I was very surprised. Yeah, cause his movies I feel like are kind of right up our alley. Um, he's most famous for doing Boogie Nights, The Master, and There Will Be Blood. Um. His way of directing, it almost feels like uh, he's more focused on the protagonist than actually everything else around them. Like, it feels very much when you watch his movies that you have purely the protagonist perspective. And compared to a lot of other movies we watched where the movie was really about the world there around, his movies are kind of the exact opposite, but they definitely show you that world, but through the lens of the protagonist that you're following makes them very cool. I, that, in my opinion, that may be a very defining factor for if you enjoy this movie or if you enjoy his movies or not. Yeah. Cause I could also say it's a pretty, it's, I feel like every single one of his movies is pretty pretentious. Um, <laughs> I, I, and, I, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. I really like those movies and I understand I'm probably a bit pretentious, but I think they really work, especially with I don't think you see a ton of directors that can make actually good movies like that. No, um, yeah, for sure, dude, for sure. I really I want to do some more of his movies like, dude, uh, and actually, never mind. We'll save it for another episode on the Paul Thomas Anderson. Keep you keep your eyes and ears open. But oh. speaking of pro, speaking of protagonists, who is the protagonist of this movie? None other than Joaquin Phoenix playing Larry Doc Sportello, murdering another role, you know, and uh, there's also an insane amount of people in this cast, Nash. So I kind of <laughs> yeah. do my best to name like some of the famous ones, but there's still way more people in this movie. And that may even be one of the talking points that we bring up. So like I said, we got Joaquin Phoenix as Doc. We got Kathleen Watterson as Shasta. We got Josh Brolin as Bigfoot. Um, yeah, this is, it's not the Bigfoot you're thinking of. I'm sorry. Owen Wilson <laughs> playing Cor Harrington. Benicio Del Toro uh, playing Sancho Smilax. Smilax, maybe. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> he, was in like, he was in like one scene. Um, Smilax sounds like an over-the-counter uh, drug that helps you poop a little bit. Reef with a spoon is playing <laughs> D.A. Benny Kimball. <laughs> That's the cast section for this week. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's definitely a star-studded cast. A few surprises that I was very happy with in this one. Um, but it sounds like you wanted to discuss that later. And before we get into discussion, we have to talk about the theme, which, um, as you so eloquently put it, Luke, it's hard to be a detective and smoke weed at the same time. Um, <laughs> am I is, am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I I because it's neo noir. Um, I feel like I should add that fate is kind of the underlying existential 
thing they're grappling with in this movie idea, I guess. Um, we didn't plan on doing neo-noir. We've sort of accidentally done a bunch of neo-noir recently. Um, which I feel like for the most part, we don't like as much, but I like this movie, but I'm getting ahead of myself because, Luke, you have to tell me if you give this a thumbs up or down right now. It's going to be a thumbs up, Nash, but to be completely honest, I have no idea what happened. But I'm going to give it a thumbs up as well. Um, <laughs> and before we do get into the discussion, we've got this. Spoiler alert! Okay, so... <laughs> Um, starting where we always should for you beautiful listeners, beautiful, beautiful listeners. Uh, we've got the title inherent vice, a vice, a vice that is inherent. No. Yes. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Um, yeah. And for this movie, it seems a bit more important just because they actually take the time in the film to define it. Um, I had no idea that an inherent vice was like a thing until I saw this movie. Luke, do you want to throw us with the definition or? Yeah, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but I know that an inherent (laughs) vice is an exclusion found in most cargo insurance policies to account for a defect or inherent characteristic in the nature of the product. Perfect. That was. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not written down in front of you, but in a. Yeah, so um, they use that to define Shasta in, or she tells us that they use that to define her in one of the scenes where she boards the Golden Fang or whatever that boat was actually called. And it it's applied to things like bananas or food that like they're shipping. So it's like if it's out for sea for too long, it'll go bad. So it's like you can't really put an insurance policy on that because it's sort of uncontrollable. It's just in the nature of that product. It's eventually going to go bad. So they won't let you collect money on that. And so she's defined as that. So it's like, she can't, they can't have any assurances with her because of the nature of who she is, which is interesting. And it can probably be applied to her relationship with doc as well. Um, probably her relationship with everybody in this movie. It doesn't seem like they last very long, but it is important enough to be the title of the film. So Luke, do you find any, any, any deeper meaning in that one? Um, I think it's, uh, I don't know, dude, I feel like it's a lot of it relates to the fact that this is, a novel and a detective story. And, you know, when I think of a detective story title, I feel like Inherent Vice really shows is like kind of giving me that idea. So even when you strip away all of the things that you just brought up, I still think it's like a really cool title that entices you to kind of watch the movie. And when I before we watched it, I thought it was going to be vice like he has a huge vice of like uh, alcoholism or like something like that. But that really wasn't what it was. And it was a lot more nuanced and clever than that. So I thought it was a pretty, pretty enticing and interesting title, personally. Yeah, no, and I mean, every character in this movie, I think, has a very clearly defined vice um, about them, which I feel like kind of makes them stand out the most. Like, you know, Doc is obviously just a a dirty pot junker, (laughs) and it makes following his whole 
story a bit more difficult. You can see that in his notes. Uh, Bigfoot just kind of hates everybody. (laughs) 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 He's a very strict, no-nonsense kind of guy, and that seems to be his sort of downfall because he has to rely on Doc for his investigating. Um, So, I mean, that's definitely something that can be applied to all the characters, and it is a pretty good way to look at all the characters if you want to like if you have to write an essay or something on this i guess it it really kicks off the pretentious factor of this movie (laughs) if you're in a film class i would be so honored if you take my ideas for like your essay so like please do that anything anything i would be i would be so proud i'd be so proud you'd probably get like a c plus on it but i still be so proud yeah Um, (laughs) anyway so you know let's um let's start in the beginning of the movie as i often like to do because i thought inherent vice um as far as a plot goes is very unique because you know nash said that stuff about the protagonist kind of being the center stage in the beginning of it um, I thought that this movie almost had a bit of like a cold open before the inherent high vice thing flashed on the um, screen because, you know, we don't really know Doc Sportello and we don't really know Shasta and we hear um, a voiceover from a person that we don't know. And it's one of those kind of conversations where they're railing off last names that you have to remember and like put it yeah. into that face and what part of the plot they're attached to. And they know each other very well because they're previous lovers. So there's kind of like a connection that as a viewer we feel like we're missing a little bit which is the point and then um as it goes forward i didn't really pick up on how much i liked the movie until we were like a good hour into it because i personally just couldn't follow what was going on that much and um that's a lame thing to say i should have been able to pay attention to it better but I think that's kind of like a good place to start because how do you think that relates to how Paul Thomas Anderson took Joaquin's Phoenix character and gave it to us in his lens? Because when we were talking about it earlier, it seems like that might've been really intentional. Yeah, no, I, I think it definitely is incredibly intentional. Um, my best sort of uh, evidence for this is just by following how he takes notes. So it's like when we're getting a story, we're receiving all this information sort of through his lens and you get a lot of cuts of his notes when he's writing them down as people talk to him so it's a very cool indicator that we get to see what he finds important and sort of we as the audience i think it's natural to think okay we should find that more important but the issue is that that he's almost always on some type of drug when he's taking his notes, so they're never really that helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, even if you're trying to follow it along, if you're not, or if you sort of go into it not ready to be in, so intently viewed viewing it, you know, I think that honestly, those scenes with his notes, if you put too much attention on them, they are far more distracting than they are helpful. Absolutely. Um, and I, I feel like I don't think there's definitely moments where I was very confused, but I think all in all, I wasn't just because. I kind of come to expect that. Like, I feel like if you watch The Master, um, which is, you know, another movie that Paul Anderson did. It's very much sort of you're just sort of watching the chaotic 
life that Joaquin Phoenix, he's a very troubled person in that movie. And you're sort of just watching that unfold. And that, I think, having seen that one, it really pulled me back and the lens and just sort of watch the movie in almost soft focus, just because if you hold on to too many things, I think you'll get bogged down with the story that's unfolding. And it's probably the similar case for this one. Whereas I kind of just take a step back and really honestly listen to everybody else more than you're listening to Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, man. So um, you wanted to watch this movie um, it came out pretty recently, which we don't always do, but I was down to watch it because it looked really interesting. And when we saw the reviews of it, it has like under a seven on like the IMDb score. And um, it had like four stars, which would you make you think that's a little bit above average. Right. So um, yeah. I feel like it seems like a movie that has split audiences. And I feel like it's because of the way that you have to pay attention to what's going on possibly because kind of like detective genre in general, I think the only one we've really done on the show is like LA confidential. And that one wasn't really like this one too much, but kind of like the detective genre where like a last name is riddled out scene after scene. And you're kind of like putting pieces together while they're putting pieces together. And that's kind of like the whole mystery of it is that you're trying to like stay along with it. And we're following Joaquin Phoenix, who's like stoned all the time, occasionally possibly doing some blow, uh, possibly doing some LSD, possibly doing some other stuff. So like, it wasn't really until we met that dentist and that scene was like so out of the blue and hilarious that I was like, okay, (laughs) I really enjoy the aesthetic of of this movie more so than what's going on, dude. So I kind of wanted to bring up uh, something I think I brought up on the show before to you. Um, I learned this in, in college in a Breaking Bad class, right? And it's called like the Three Pillars of like a good production, right? So that was for a TV show, but you can apply it to a movie where it's like you have the production, um, like how it's actually made, what it looks like, how good it is, the people who are behind the camera. You have the writing and then you have the acting. And, you know, in this movie, I feel like the writing of all those pillars may be the thing that is a little not lackluster, but not what people are expecting to where like this movie has so many great actors and actresses giving amazing performances in a place that feels like the 1970s in a world that doesn't feel like anything else. And then the writing going on here is like very odd because I think it was adapted from a novel and it kind of is like you're watching and then like Owen Wilson's over here in the shadows. And then we meet another girl who wants another case to go on after we just met um, the guy who went to prison to talk to these people going on. And there's so many things coming from one way and going to the other way that you're not really supposed to latch onto it, I think. But even though that might've been intentional, I'm not sure how much I enjoyed it because it was hard for me to kind of put stakes into what was happening at the same time. You feel me? No, definitely. And if you look, if you try to look at the synopsis for this movie, it'll often define it as whereas he takes on three cases that all get intertwined. And I don't know. I think that right there is kind of difficult to take on because I feel like the second they get intertwined or like we as an audience discover that they're part of the same sort of enterprise, I think right then and there, we stop thinking about that individual storyline and now think of it as 
one storyline. Like if you're trying to watch the movie and understand, I think that's probably going to help you the most where the second they meet, like lose all focus for the other parts of that story. Cause now we know that at any point you could get a solution or the answer to either of those storylines like as it goes on but you don't really know when the next one's going to come like if you keep focusing on the main shasta one well the shasta one doesn't really get answered until near the very end whereas the other two are kind of answering each other back and forth and they're growing and building up to the the primary uh case that we're following shasta gave him yeah exactly and so i just kind of impressed myself that i did that all right yeah but i I feel like you this is definitely a movie that you want to watch twice for Mm -hmm. sure dude um because like really the the place that i'm gonna talk my praises on is gonna be the acting and, and the directing in those three pillars and kind of the way that the writing it gives you Joaquin Phoenix in such a great performance in like these really trippy ways. Like I thought one of the oddest scenes of the movie was when he first goes to the place where he meets, I think Jade was her name. The girl talks about eating pussy all the time. Yes. <laughs> um, and he gets hit, hit in the head with the bat. And then he wakes up next to the, um, the guy dead. he was looking for, yeah, the dead guy that yeah, he was looking the, the, for. The dead body, and then Josh Brolin has, like, the entire police force shooting, like, holding a gun at him. That was really weird. I didn't it's understand. Was Joaquin Phoenix, like, a fugitive? It seemed, like, a little overdone, and then in the next scene, he's not in handcuffs or anything. He's just in his thing talking, and um, that's when you kind of understand the dynamic between the two of them. But I felt like there was a lot of stuff like that happening that, like was odd and then no emphasis gets put on it and it's kind of all accumulated into this really interesting representation of the 1970s yeah no i think that point is a very good one to bring up like if if it's i feel like if we're going to point at a storytelling flaw in this movie that's probably the best one because it, it honestly guy confused me the most too because when we first get sort of told about bigfoot that relationship that they have isn't really brought up or mentioned. I don't think in any way, or at least I don't remember seeing it. Cause it was in the very early part of the movie. And so when it happens like that, it makes sense by the end of the movie, because we've seen that sort of partnership go back and forth at that point, but it seems like it was well-established before that actual point. And that's something that probably is an issue of the book to movie adaptation where they've got a long standing relationship with each other where they don't like each other. They're polar opposites, but they help each other when they can because they both don't have access to certain resources or information. And that in the beginning, definitely I don't think was defined well enough and seemed incredibly surreal when, yeah, like you said, the entire police force is there to arrest him, and then it's like, ah, oh, no biggie. Yeah, or how my, how many chocolate bananas this guy eats, and I, like, <laughs> I, I, that, that, that first scene in the first, like, half hour where it's just a close-up on him just mowing on the banana, dude, like, there's so much oh, stuff, yeah. yeah, so much stuff like that, bro, <laughs> I mean, and the dentist scene, too, like, tell me that's not one of the funniest scenes you've seen in a movie in yeah. so long, it's just so out of pocket when they get pulled over by the cops, he's like, oh, oh we're so good, oh, god, I can't believe it, like, it's yeah. so... 
utterly hilarious and it really it really pulls you into the world and i find it super interesting because it's a detective story that like it's 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 hard to follow and i think you really gotta like absorb the movie and then the second time you go back you can kind of pay more attention to it because we got all the stuff with the golden fang all the stuff with owen wilson all these names getting thrown out i I was gonna write them down on a list but i didn't but like what we got koi we got japanica we got i don't think (laughs) something like that but you, you you know what i mean dude so like other yeah. than <laughs> other than the aesthetics of the world and like Joaquin Phoenix performance and all that stuff, are there is there anything else that like really stands out to you that makes Inherent Vice such a unique movie? Um, I think we need to talk about the narrator because that yeah. was something when I was looking at the movie that was something that they didn't have at first, and it wasn't very clearly defined in the begin, like in the when the movie was first being written, and then they sort of settled on allow- making it a character that uh, we see in the movie that is sort of really the big fate aspect of the whole movie with the Ouija board. Like, do you think that narrator was good, or do you think it was distracting? Like, what, just what's your take on it? Um, I found it uh, distracting in the beginning again, but then once the movie got going, I kind of got an idea for what was going on because – so from what I remember, this is this this might be a, a little off, but from what I remember, she starts um, narrating the movie and then there's the scene where he meets Shasta and then the next time we really hear her narration is when he's driving somewhere and she's in the passenger seat like she's talking to him and then it, the camera cuts on the other side of him and she's not there anymore and right there I was like what okay what this is like the first 20 <laughs> minutes of the movie I have no idea what's going on so um I don't know you know, because I think I think this opinion would be better if I rewatched the movie and was able to pick up on that. But um, I'll, I'll I'll say that at first, no. And I wish that there was more of an explanation after the movie ended, too, because there's never really an explanation for it. Right. Other other than the one that you brought up. No, there there really isn't like she seems to be the most sort of, I guess, mystical element of the whole movie or at the whole the whole Ouija board thing. And then that, you know, years later becomes an important thing that they actually use to communicate with each other, which, you know, is very bizarre. Um, Honestly, I I didn't even really pick up on that in the Ouija board scene that that was happening. What? That, 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 that was the intention of the Ouija board board scene, you know, because I was just like amazed that he was using a, a Ouija board and it kind of happened really fast. I didn't even really pick up on that. That was related to the narrator at all. Yeah, because I think that I think the person that gave them the Ouija board was the narrator. Um, and that sort of is the biggest element of fate. They both bring it up. They both mention uh, Shasta and Doc. They both mention how that. It's sort of a weird coincidence that they had in a very weird time in their relationship. And so it seems highly important just because it plays out later in the story and is sort of pivotal to it actually progressing. How how do you feel about the progression of of the case overall? I feel like you already answered that a little bit. But um, when you like take into consideration the narrator and like Shasta's point and like the three different pieces, do you feel because 
Well, let me re kind of re-ask that in this way. At what point did you really start to like the movie? Because for me, it was about an hour and 20 minutes in at the scene with the dentist. That's when I really started to appreciate the aesthetic and uh, like what was going on. When was kind of that moment for you and like how it progressed on top of that, you know? I I will say I was really intrigued once he wakes up um, with that guy dead next to him. But I think I have to agree, like once we get to the dentist office, that was sort of like, OK, I'm really liking this movie. I got to see how it ends. It's got me totally intrigued into it. Yeah. And I, I that might be a bit difficult if <laughs> if you hate the movie up until that scene, I don't think that scene's going to make as big a difference for you. But it definitely is sort of like the dramatic action that pushes you over the hump to be like, OK, OK, what is going on here? Yeah. And, and I, what? I, oh, sorry, you go. I was going to say, I think from then on, every time you see other characters in the movie, they are incredibly well defined. All of their sort of um, dialogue after that makes a lot more sense. Uh, their characters are very well established by then, and it's sort of seems only beneficial where in the beginning, a lot of it is very confusing and misleading. And at that point, it's just sort of. I think you have to accept sort of the go to go with the flow nature of him investigating. Yeah, no. Um, absolutely. And what I what I enjoyed about the dentist scene specifically was um, the change in the way that um, the film moved when they started doing that drug. <laughs> and honestly, when they started doing that drug, um, the movie felt a lot faster because all the characters were obviously like hopped up. And when that happened, I noticed how kind of slow and jarring the movie was with him like smoking weed all the time and stuff like that. So I didn't even really notice the aesthetic changes of the drugs that are being done in this movie and how Paul Thomas Anderson was able to like convey that on the screen, which is another reason why I want to watch it again, because I'll be able to pick up on like what's being done in this scene that kind of portrays the feelings that Joaquin Phoenix might have, dude, because I, you know, I think one of the coolest points that that you thought of is like the way that he writes notes and how disjointed that is and how you can really just see it of being in the head of a quote unquote dirty hippie as Bigfoot likes to put it like how he would be a detective you know like it's yeah. little, it's literally like someone was in the writer's room and they're like yo um Sherlock Holmes and Cheech and Chong inherent <laughs> <Aaron> vice <laughs> no it, it really does feel like that like when when he sits down with Bigfoot and with the FBI it for me it genuinely felt like that was the only time he had like put all of his thought into what was going on and decide to express it like I feel up into that point it was just kind of him observing things and making it through trying to answer these questions but not until those moments in the movie was like okay th this is it this is everything <laughs> I'm, I'm focused here's what i know um but how do you know nash do i know what how do you know what's going on i don't so God, how do you that... so wait i was like, no sorry you go what were we gonna say no, I, I think I think I, you do know what's going on. But definitely worth a second watch 
just because I feel like things get solved or resolved very quickly. Like almost every time he talks to Owen Wilson, you've got incredibly important major exposition, even when he says like when he mouths like what the fudge in the insane asylum, like even that is incredibly pivotal because then you've got all these characters we've been looking for, you know, and so things happening that fast where you've got sort of all the cases being solved in a few sentences, then it's sort of like, yeah, I need to go back and sort of know what to focus on now because the sort of chaos of everything around me is, or everything around uh, Doc in the movie is just a bit distracting. I might even have to say I have to watch it three times to like really understand what happened, dude, you know? <laughs> you know what? I'm making four. Everybody yeah. watch this movie four yeah. times. Yeah, watch this movie four <laughs> times. That will take a while because it was two and a half hours long. So I did want to ask you, do you think that's a fair runtime for this movie? Because I did think that um, it was a little dragged out. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you could shave like a half hour off and it would have the same effect. What do you, what do you think? I think... I don't know if a full half hour, I think you could probably take 15 minutes off of it, but I feel like a lot of that time is sort of important for setting the mood and the beats in the movie. Like when he's eating that banana in the car, it's like straight up two minutes long. You're watching him eat the banana. Yeah. And it may seem really distracting and unimportant, but I think it really sets the tone for that scene. <laughs> like it really brings everything up where here's this guy who thinks he's sort of doing something normal or doesn't care. And then you've got the hippie just staring at him like, what in the name of God are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so skipping ahead to the end, did you enjoy how it eventually came together in climax with the golden fang and him uh, like hitting puck over the head with the toilet seat and like shooting the guy? Did, did you enjoy that? And then like writing off an end of the sunset, did you really feel satisfied with like all these different things? Because it was a movie that might not like focus too much on, what you thought would be the satisfying ending, you know? Yeah, I I think we're supposed to feel a bit melancholy about it. Um, but I like the very ending. I, I don't think I can. I don't think I have a definite answer on the like actual conclusion of it. But that scene where he breaks out. I absolutely love that because it was the last thing I expected to see. And I think it fit very well. Um especially with Bigfoot showing up, like it's a lot of stuff I didn't expect and it didn't seem like it was just thrown at my face. It seemed like it kind of, it made sense with sort of what was going on. Like he was walking into the lion's den and really didn't consider that he was doing. That. Yeah. yeah I, man, well, I, well, there, no, there was, there go, was, yeah. there was even a line in the beginning when he's talking to Shasta, the very first scene. And um, she says, it's not what you're thinking. And he's like, well, uh, th uh, thinking comes later, you know, like just yeah. act, act now. The thinking comes later. I feel like that's a pretty big way that Joaquin Phoenix's protagonistic character functions in this Paul Thomas Anderson film. <laughs> yeah, no, that it really is a good way to probably just watch the movie too. Um, because just doing this show, you and I, I think try to think about things while we're watching it, so we can have more profound dialogue about it. But. Yeah. When I'm For not this... rambling my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Um, 
And I, and I think that might be a bit sticky, especially for movies like this, for Anderson films. Like it's best, I think, to absorb as much as you can before bringing up ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what friends would you recommend this movie to? Because I'm not sure if um, all my friends would like it, you know? Um, any of my friends that listen to The Grateful Dead. Um, <laughs> Kevin Land, shout out. <laughs> I, I, don't, I feel like I'd, I'd recommend this to a lot of my friends. I think it's a I think it's a pretty funny movie to watch. Like there's a lot of comedy in that, like especially the that dentist office scene. All right, that has got to be one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen. Where every ten seconds something hilarious happens. Like when that guy walks into the office, knocks into the the sculpture thing that's hanging on the wall, and is holding the steering wheel to the car. <laughs> like that is just on the floor dying with laughter. Comedy right there. So I, I think a lot of honestly people. Our age would really enjoy it. No animals die. And there is no discussion this week or sort of closing paragraph from my end, just because I think this movie is pretty hit or miss. If you're going to watch it, I don't want to put too much thought in your ears, um, especially when I think that we should both watch it again and see what we and see what we think after that. But. For right now, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. You can message us at Midnight Showing Podcast on Instagram or email Midnight Showing with Luke and Nash at gmail.com. Stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and offer suggestions for the movies we watch and future content we can bring to you. Be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Our midnight release for next week features Reign of Fire. So stay tuned to that. And as always, the popcorn will not be included. <laughs>